And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is April the 14th, 104th day of the year. 261 days remain till the year is over with. And in keeping with your all's request to know about uh, special days, holidays, today is the Day of Silence. National Ex-Spouse Day. I got a couple of those running around. Air Force Reserve Birthday. Ambedkar Jayanti, Father of India's Constitution. <coughs> it's America's Day. Cambodian New Year. Children of Alopecia Day. That's when you lose your hair, don't you know? Dreams of Reason Feast Day. International Moment of Laughter Day. National Dolphin Day. National Donate a Book Day. National Fast and Prayer Day. National Gardening Day. National Look Up at the Sky Day. Who comes up with these things? National Pecan Day. National Perfume Day. National Reach as High as You Can Day. Dream big, folks. Because all those folks who try to stop you need something to do. Orthodox Good Friday. <clears throat> Pan American Day. Um, it's also the founding of the International Union of American Republics. Pathologist Assistance Day. Rain Day. It's an annual outreach by the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Uh, Tamil New Year. Vaishasi. Uh, most important date in the history of the Sikh community. World Chagas Disease Day. If it's left unchecked, it'll lead to, lead to severe cardiac and digestive alterations. You know, as I said, this is April 14th. And uh, in 43 BC, legions loyal to the Roman Senate, commanded by Gaius Pansa, defeat the forces of Mark Anthony in the Battle of Forum Glorum. In 69 AD, Vitellius, commanding Rhine based armies, defeats the uh, Roman Emperor Otho in the First Battle of. Bedriacum to take power over Rome. 966, following his marriage to the Christian Dubravka of Bohemia, the pagan ruler of the Poland, Mizko I converts to Christianity. This was an event considered to be the founding of the Polish state. That's why I've always thought a, a woman's smile can conquer more than a sword can. Uh, 972, Otto II, co-emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, marries Byzantine princess Theophanu. She's crowned empress by Pope John XIII in Rome that same day. 1395, Tokhtamshin, Timur War, the Battle of Terek River, T 
Kumar defeats the army of the Golden Horde, beginning the Khanate's permanent military decline. 1471 in England, New York, is under Edward IV, my ancestor, defeat the Lancastrians under the Earl of Warwick at the Battle of Barnet. Earl is killed. Edward resumes the throne. 1561, a celestial phenomenon is reported over Nuremberg, described as a great aerial battle. And it may well have been. 1639, Thirty Years' War, forces of the Holy Roman Empire and the electorate of Saxony are defeated by the Swedes at the Battle of Chemnitz, ending the military effectiveness of the Saxon army for the rest of the war. And it awares the Swedes to advance into Bohemia. 1775, Society for the Relief of Free Negroes Unlawfully Held in Bondage. That was the first abolition society in North America. Organized in Philadelphia by Benjamin Franklin and Benjamin Rush. 1816, Busa, slave in the British rule Barbados, uh, or Barbados, leads a slave rebellion for which he's remembered as the country's first national hero. 1849, Hungary declares itself independent of Austria with Lajos Kasuth as its leader. 1865, President Lincoln is shot on Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth on this date. He died on April 15th. Tax day, don't you know? Also in 1865, on this date, William Seward, Secretary of State, and his family are attacked at home by Lewis Powell. That was part of the plan. Uh, all the great leaders of the North are going to be assassinated on the same date, April 14th. 1881, the four dead in five seconds gunfight took place in front of the Camino Real Hotel in El Paso, Texas. The two gunmen who were shooting at each other didn't hit each other. They shot bystanders. 1890, the Pan American Union is founded by the First International Conference of American States in Washington, D.C. Also in 1894, the first ever commercial motion picture house opens in New York City uses 10 kinetoscopes. Uh, those are the devices used for peep shows uh, for viewing of films. 1900, world's first exposition, Universelle, opens in Paris. 1906, the first meeting of the Azusa Street Revival, which had launched uh, Pentecostalism as a worldwide movement held in Los Angeles. 1908, Hauser Dam, a steel dam on the Missouri River in Montana Falls, sends a surge of water 25 to 30 feet high downstream. Uh, 1909, Muslims in the Ottoman Empire began a massacre of Armenians in Adana. 1912, the British passenger liner RMS Titanic hits an iceberg in the North Atlantic and begins to sink on this date. Though, as I said in an earlier show, there is evidence that um, this was part of a massive insurance scam by the owners of the Titanic. The RMS, um, I'll just blanked out on the name. They had another ship, a sister ship to the Titanic, who had major hull issues. And the Titanic was supposed to be the greatest thing going. So the story is they switched the names of the ships, knowing that the the other one 
would probably not survive across of the uh, the ocean. They want to collect the insurance. Uh, 1928, the Bremen, a German Junkers W-33 type aircraft, reaches Greenlee Island, Canada, completing the first successful transatlantic aerial flight from east to west. Uh, let's see. 1929, the inaugural Monaco Grand Prix takes place in the Principality of Monaco. William Grover Williams wins during a driving a Bugatti Type 35. 1931, the Spanish Cortez deposes King Alfonso XIII and proclaims the Second Spanish Republic. 1935, Black Sunday dust storm, considered one of the worst dust storms in the Dust Bowl, sweeps across the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles and the neighboring areas. 1940, World War II, Royal Marines land in Namsos, Norway, preceding a larger force that arrived two days later. 1941, German and Italian forces attacked Tobruk in, in, uh, in Libya. I can't talk. 1944, Bombay explosion. A massive explosion in Bombay Harbor kills 300 and causes economic damage valued at 20 million pounds. 1945, the raising of Friesoth, the 4th Canadian Armored Division, uh, deliberately destroys the German town of Friesoth on the orders of Major General Christopher Volkes, or Volks. 1958, the Soviet satellite Sputnik 2 falls morbid after a mission duration of 162 days. This is the first spacecraft to carry a living animal. Um, a female dog named Laika, who likely lived only a few hours. 1967, um, Ganassing B. Edema overflows, uh, overthrows Nicholas Grunditsky and installs himself as a new president of Togo, title he will hold for the next 36 years. Uh, 1978, Tbilisi demonstrations. Thousands of Georgians demonstrated against Soviet attempts to change the constitutional status of the Georgian language. 1979, the Progressive Alliance of Liberia stages a protest without a permit against an increase in rice prices proposed by the government. There are clashes between protesters and the police that resulted in over 70 dead and over 500 injured. 1981, STS-1, the first operational space shuttle, completes its first test flight. That was the Columbia, don't you know? 1986, the heaviest hailstorms ever recorded. Each weighing about 2.2 pounds fell on the Kopalaganzi district of Bangladesh and killed 92. 1988, the USS Samuel Roberts strikes a mine in the Persian Gulf during Operation Earnest Will. Also on the same date, 1988, in a UN ceremony in Geneva, Switzerland, the Soviet Union signs an agreement pledging to withdraw its troops from Afghanistan. They didn't have much of a choice, frankly. 1991, Republic of Georgia introduces the post of president following its declaration of independence from the Soviet Union. 1994, in a friendly fire incident during Operation Provide Comfort in Northern Iraq, two U.S. Air Force aircraft mistakenly shoot down two U.S. Army helicopters. 26 people are killed. 1997, Pai Hai Yen, daughter of Taiwanese artist uh, Pai Bing Bing, is kidnapped on her way to school preceding her murder. The um, 
she disappeared after leaving for her school with the single high school on the morning of April 14th. Family got a ransom note demanding five million um, U.S. dollars, which is equivalent today of about eight point four million, along with a severed piece of her little finger and a photograph of a bound girl. She was sixteen years old when she was murdered on uh, on or about uh, April eighteenth to the twentieth. The abductors negotiated with the police for 11 days and changed the location of payment more than 20 times. Uh, police finally decoded the communication methods used by the abductors. In a subsequent police raid, one suspect was arrested and two others escaped after an intense gunfight with the police. A mutilated body weighted down with dumbbells was found in a drainage ditch in Zhongjiang Adepai, the Taishan Township, April 28th. Investigators say she'd been dead for 10 days before her body was discovered. Well, 12 suspects were arrested, but three of the main criminals um, escaped. A fourth person, um, who was the brother-in-law of one of those arrested, uh, was suspected of involvement, but his sentence was eventually overturned due to insufficient evidence. An island-wide manhunt began. The police were ordered to fatally shoot and kill the suspects without warning if they showed any signs of resistance. And that was old-fashioned law enforcement. 1999, NATO mistakenly bombs a convoy of ethnic Albanian refugees. Yugoslav officials say 75 people were killed. But it's just a mistake, so it doesn't matter. 1999, a severe hailstorm strikes Sydney, Australia, causing uh, $2.3 billion in insured, uh, that's in Australian dollars, in insured damages, the most costly natural disaster in Australian history. 2002, Brazilian, uh, excuse me, Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez returns to office two days after being ousted and arrested by the country's military. 2003, the Human Genome Project is completed with 99% of the human genome sequence for an accuracy of 99.99%. 2003, U.S. troops in Baghdad capture Abu Abbas, leader of the Palestinian group that killed an American on the hijacked cruise liner MS Achille Lauro in 1985. Uh, 2005, the Oregon Supreme Court nullifies marriage licenses issued to same-sex couples a year earlier by uh, Adoma County, 2006. Um, twin blasts triggered by crude bombs during an Asr prayer in the Jama Masjid Mosque in Delhi injured 13 people. 2014 in Nigeria, Boko Haram set up uh, twin bombings in Abuja and abducted 276 schoolgirls in Shabak. 2016, the fourth shock of Kumamoto earthquake occurs in Japan. And in 2022 on this date, the Russians invade Ukraine. And the Russian warship, Moskva, sinks. Well, that's it on our little history segment. You know, yesterday we talked about uh, a couple of lost mines in the state of Texas. 
Texas is known for lost and hidden treasure. And uh, I know some people, that's all they do is hunt for treasure. Um, and in the military, I knew a couple of NCOs who were world-known professional treasure hunters. Well, you know, one well-known lost mine, I guess you could say, is the Blanco mine. Now, there seems to be some dispute among various factions as to whether or not the famed Blanco mine really exists. Tradition has it the Blanco River was named for him. And the argument is whether or not Blanco himself, he was an individual that really existed. Um, a book called The History and Geography of Texas is told in uh, county names. It says the name Blanco, which literally means white, was given to the stream because it flows almost its entire length through a white chalky limestone region. Almost that same story as what was released uh, is told concerning the uh, the Bowie mine. One treasure hunter uh, made the comment that the uh, magic circle, which is reproduced uh, in a number of books as belonging to the uh, Bowie mine, and there are copies of letters from a uh, number of uh, well-known uh, writers who described the uh, site of the Bowie mine. Now remember, the Bowie mine, as such, doesn't exist in all likelihood. It was not a mine that Jim Bowie uh, found, but it was a, uh, a place where the, the gold taken from a mine, probably the Los San Saba, was stored. And the, the Indians who conquered that area were drawing on it a little bit at the time. Now, sometime before the Mexican War, Mexican, by uh, the name of Blanco, discovered a silver and lead mine somewhere in Llano County, according to the story. Um, and a lot of the older people, if they'll talk to you about it, um, spend a lot of their free time hunting for some of these mines. man named J.W. Wiley, who uh, up in his 90s, last time I heard, uh, has always claimed he's been on the verge of discovering that lost mine several times. And he's certain um, if he could go up Pax Huddle Mountain alone, he'd go to the very spot where the richest vein of silver and lead oil in Texas lies hidden. Now, Paxano Mountains in Yano County, near Kingsland, close to the junction of the Colorado and the Yano Rivers in the red granite section of Texas. Mine's said to be in a cave somewhere on or near Paxano Mountain. Now, a number of years ago, a man by the name of R.J. Rowland, 
found the mine, but in order to conceal its whereabouts, he put a large flat stone over the entrance and covered that stone with loose soil, which in time became so overgrown with grass that uh, nobody's ever been able to locate it. Roland, though, was careful to leave his own mark so at any time he might uh, return to take treasure from the cave, and he drew on it like people would a bank. One day he did return with a friend by the name of Cheney, who was so anxious to locate the mine. He offered Roland a thousand dollars if he'd tell him where it was at. So it was agreed, and the two men wandered over pack saddle searching in vain. Cheney got tired and a little impatient, told Roland emphatically he was tired of fooling, and Roland said, Well, show me the money and I'll show you the mine. Well, Cheney, though, refused to produce the $1,000. Now, he was shown the whereabouts of the mine, and Roland turned around and walked back down the mountain trail. Well, that night, uh, Roland stayed with Mr. Wyatt, an old pioneer living in a cabin surrounded by cedars in a gap at the foot of Pack Saddle. And, of course, the guest related the incident to his host that evening as a smoked uh, their pipes by the fireplace. And when it was time to turn in, Roland stood up from his seat and uh, stretched, yawned and said, uh, and do we know, Mr. White, at the very time I told Cheney to hand over them thousand dollars, I was standing right on top of that there mine? Well, a day or so after the Roland disappeared, Mr. White climbed Pack Saddle, and in his exploration he found a cave with a wild animal skin on the floor. In the center of the cave was the skin of a huge, right in the center of the skin was a nugget of um, silver. Well, needless to say, mining enthusiasts who were let in on the secret came from far and wide to search for the lost mine, but uh, nobody's ever discovered what's supposed to be one of the richest veins of silver in the state of Texas. And in this day and time, that would definitely come in handy, don't you think? Well, in the fall of 1876, a man by the name of Estelle and a lawyer friend named uh, Portis, who'd both been attending district court in, in Mason, were on their way in in a uh, two-horse buggy going to court in Menardville. Mr. Portis uh, told his father, well, told Estelle, and the story came from a, uh, a child of Estelle. Now, at the time, Mr. Portis, who was probably about 70, who had taken a liking to... Uh, Estelle said he'd tell him the true story of the Bowie Mine. You know, Mr. Portis, as I said, was about 70 and a typical old Southland planter who owned a large farm in Brazoria County. He was a very intelligent man and well-educated, able to carry on a spirited conversation. So the two men, as they went slowly along that trail in that buggy. 
kept up a lively conversation now and then by all accounts they they had good laughs at various things they discussed well about 15 miles from Mason the soil suddenly changes from a light color to a deep red and as the travelers approach this particular imaginary line I still remarked uh, this is the beginning of the Red Hill region of the San Saba must be in the neighborhood of the old boy mine and uh, Portis um, immediately shot back the boy mine's all a myth I was personally acquainted with a man who uh, had been to the Moe the Bowie the Bowie mine on his uh, expedition to the San Saba Hills and one evening when a crowd of us young folks were smoking our pipes around the fire this old man uh, Related uh, unusually uh, marvelous tales about the Bowie mine, that's red silver ore, which he said was just hacked off with a hatchet. Well, of course, stories like that kind of fired the imagination. The entire crowd became wild with enthusiasm, immediately resolved to put together an expedition of search for the lost mine. Wagons and teams and supplies to last several months were gathering. Guards were hired to protect everybody uh, from the Indians and they set out confidently to seek the mine. Well, about the time that uh, Mr. Estelle and Mr. Portis reached a place in the road overlooking the valley of the San Saba River, Mr. Portis expressed surprise that the country changed a little and pointed out several places where the search party had camped. And finally, he said the old guide would tell our party where to camp, and when camp had been pitched, he'd go out into the woods, sometimes staying all day, presumably hunting for the lost mine. Then we'd move and search begin all over again. Well, this went on for four or five days without any results, and finally the party concluded either the old man knew nothing about the Bowie mine or he just wasn't going to tell them. So the leaders of the expedition took him aside and forcibly expressed their opinions to him, saying that now if he knew where the mine was located, he had to tell them or they were going to hang him. And finally, the old man broke down and said, There is no Bowie mine. It's true I was with Bowie on his expedition into the hill country, but candidly, we didn't find a mine. The Indians attacked our party, and I was one of the few that escaped, he said. And I commenced telling the story about this fabulous mine, and I've told it so often, I actually got to believing it myself. So I've told you the truth. Hang me if you will. Well, needless to say, these would-be treasure hunters returned to the Brazos' bottom, disappointed, but... Uh, Determined ever to tell of their failure to find the f famous Bowie mine. And even Bowie himself eventually admitted it wasn't a mine per se as much as it was a storehouse of uh, gold and silver ore that came from other locations. Unfortunately, Bowie never had the opportunity to uh, to profit from the what he found because he died at the Alamo of course now there are numerous areas that contain locations that are said to uh, be places where you can find treasure in fact there are 16 legends out of a comparative a small section in one county. So that'll give you the idea about the uh, fertility and buried treasure legend of 
all that search of Texas. For the most part, yet unplowed, lying toward the Rio Grande, populated by Mexicans and by Texans of frontier stock. McMullen County is the place I'm talking about. And at the time the story was told, there was neither railroad nor bank. People are as yet um, unhackneyed by the plow or commercial secretary. They still talk a language seasoned with Mexican idioms and honest with the soil's honesty. They have their old-time dances. They're, they welcome heartily any decent stranger. And on the whole, they're enlightened as a population that have their ideals molded by real estate agents. At the time this story was told, um, oil um, boom was just beginning, and railroad promoters are going to bring progress. Well, one of the stories that's told is called the Rock Pens. And I grew up hearing about this one. Now, except for the Bowie Mine and uh, the... Uh, no other purported lost treasure in southwest Texas has caused as much discussion or enticed so many seekers as that is the, of what is known as the Rock Pens. And these pens are variously placed in Live Oak, LaSalle, and McMullen Counties. Most stories hold that it's in McMillan County. The Waybill quoted, uh, and what I'm going to tell you was uh, produced by Mr. E.M. Dubois of um, Mathis, Texas, who spent months and some say years trying to follow its directions. And many of the details are actually came from Mr. Mathis, I mean Mr. Dubois. But the legend's been so ongoing that it's really hard to say where it got its start. Now, the story is that 31 mule loads of silver bullion, together with various fine images and other precious articles, are being brought from the mountains of Mexico by Texas bandits who had made a great robbery. They crossed the Rio Grande in safety and were proceeding north to their rendezvous in San Antonio when they found the Indians were closing in on them in that rough country, west or maybe south, because the river cha often changes its course of the, the noches. They knew an attack was imminent, and they picked the best place they could find in which to make their stand. And it was by a small ravine in which there was a spring of water, and they threw up uh, some crude breastworks in the form of two rock pens. And in one of the pens, they buried the bullion and and in order to hide all the signs of their secret work, they ran the mules around and around over that disturbed earth until it was, you couldn't tell anything had been dug. The fight happened and ended all the Texans but one are supposed to have been killed. And his name was Daniel Dunham. And on his deathbed in Austin, 51 years um, after this particular fight, he dictated what you might call a waybill. Now, it's dated April 17th, 1873. And he said about six or seven miles below the Rado Crossing on the west side of the Natchez River near the hills, there is or was a tree in the prairie due west from the tree at the foot of uh, the hills at the mouth of a ravine there's a large rock. And under that rock there's a small spring of water coming from under the rock. Due east from the rock, there's a, 
A rock pen or rocks laid around like a pen, due east a few yards, there's another pile of rocks, and then that pen is the, the spoils of 31 mule loads. And that was the extent of what people began, uh, began to call the waybill. Now, he did it at his death, which occurred during the uh, 1880s, and it was in the possession of a man whose um, name is long since forgotten. And he'd shown it to his sons a few times, but there was an accompanying paper that he had never shown. And in that accompanying paper, there was information that would have been important, but he destroyed it right before his death, or else his wife destroyed it immediately after that. Now, some of his own sons conjectured, and certain circumstances have led others to conjecture, that uh, the man who obtained uh, possession of this map was actually one of the Texas bandits himself who invaded the Mexican mines and robbed a rich Mexican church. Now, it's known that, well, let's call him X for simplicity. Held the way bill is peculiarly voracious, but... Uh, had an overwhelming feeling against undertaking to follow out its directions. And you have to wonder why. Whether any attempts to find the rock pins are made before his death is not known. But the fact is that not long after his death, an expedition of which uh, one of his sons was a member set out to find those pins. And many other treasure seekers are known to have gone on the search for the rock pins. So it must be that there were other directions and other directions in existence than those left uh, by X. And a number of men claimed to have seen the rock pen years and years before they knew that there was any significance to them. But uh, I know various rock heaps have been uh, found since. None has ever been found to answer the specific description given by Daniel Dunham. The Laredo Crossing mentioned in the Wayville is supposed to be the Notches Crossing on the old San Antonio Laredo Road. And that's generally conceded to be on the Henry Shiner Ranch in McMullen County. Now, nearly all the land in that part of the uh, country is still in uh, pasture. Much of it's rough. Uh, San Caja, Las Chuzas, and other so-called mountains being in the vicinity. And where it was once open, the country during the last few decades has grown up in brush so that no man can be sure the pens don't exist until thousands and thousands of acres of uneven land uh, that are covered with um, prickly pear and mesquite and black chaparral and grand hanging of the thorn bushes have been searched and the rocks were never piled high uh, they've been scattered maybe covered over with soil washed down from the hillside in time of drought it's a desolate country and many tales um Tell of early travelers perishing in it from thirst. And before the advent of the automobile, one treasure-seeking expedition lived for days on jackrabbit meat. So remote were they in that region uh, that they couldn't get supplies easily. Now, a number of years ago, Pate McNeil was coming from Tilden, or as it was called then, Dogtown, going down to Lagardo with his young wife, and they were in a buggy leading a horse, Somewhere in the Shiner country, they saw a fine-looking maverick cow. McNeil got out of the buggy and jumped on his horse and chased the cow. And when he'd roped her and tied her to the back of the buggy, looked around and saw he was right in the middle of um, a kind of pen of rocks. 
Now, at the time, he didn't know about the treasure supposed to be buried at the rock pen, so he calmly ran his famous brand of P-A-T-E on the cow and went on down the country. Years later, when the story of the rock pens became well known, he went back and tried to find the rocks. But the country changed so much with brush and washes that he could never find anything. Uncle Ben Atkins, a veteran of Beeville, who guarded the western frontier during Civil War days, uh, keep Southeast from driving cattle off to California, talked about a hunter who once stumbled into the pens and thought he was under the, a uh, deserted goat camp. Like others, he didn't know at the time how close he was to what today would be millions of dollars. Pete Staples, a, an old trail driver, tells how when he was once hunting wild turkeys with Judge Lowe of McMullen County, they stumbled into some curiously placed rocks. He said he remembered the remark, and it looks mighty funny to me for rocks to be in this place. Ain't no other rocks like them for a mile. And Judge Lowe responded, uh, natural rocks all right, but this is an old pen. Well, Judge Lowe died sometime later. And he apparently, uh, before his death, set out to find those rock pens again because he'd heard the story about the, the buried silver, but he failed. And Pete Staples, having a firm con um, conviction that's uh, dangerous to monkey with money that some man now dead buried, has never been back to try to look for the pens. Though he declares that uh, a lot of folks have tried to hire him as a guide, and he could find them, but he ain't gonna. The pens, according to Pete Staples, are in the Gooden pasture, which joins the, the Shiner, comprises some twenty to 30,000 acres of land. According to Pete, a number of years earlier, Mexican who was being chased by an Indian in the Acusas country leaped over a spring of water, and as he leaped, he saw a bar of silver shining in it. Well, after he made good his escape, he later went back and hunted for six months without ever finding that spring, much less the silver. And according to Pete, looks as if that money ain't meant for any of the people who've looked for it. When a man comes along for who it is meant, he'll just naturally find it without even trying. Of course, people are still trying. The cheering thing about looking for the rock pens is that even though the search for them turns out to be fruitless, one may stumble on some other treasure at almost any time. Because the whole San Caja Mountain country is rich in lost and buried treasure. And we're going to talk about some of those legends. I'm going to tell you the story about Neil Russell, who set out with two other cowpunchers on the Notches River. They had extra mounts and a pack outfit, and they were well supplied. One day while they were hunting cattle, they came on two very old Mexicans, and they looked scared and acted uh, peculiarly, but they were so old and worn and thin, Russell paid a little attention to their secretive manner. Found out they were out of something to eat. He told them where camp was and invited them up for a fill and a rest. Well, after Russell and his men had come in and waited around a while, the Mexicans appeared. They ate and evidently feeling at ease with the Texans. Uh, we're talking Mexican like natives. They added if anybody knew where the old San Antonio and Laredo crossing was. And Russell responded, oh yeah, it's not 200 yards from here, right down the river. I'll show it to you in the morning. 
Well, the, the two home Mexicans now seem to think that they had uh, as well take the Texans into confidence, and what seemed to be the older two made this explanation. He said, I went through this country in 1836, and I was with a small detachment of the Mexican Army, taking a load of money to San Antonio to pay off General uh, Coza's men. We got a day's ride north of here when we heard about Curry of Santa Ana's defeat. So when it was feel foolish to go on and turn back, expecting any hour to hear the Texans coming up behind us, and just as we reached the east side of the, the Nelchus, the front axle of our wagon broke square in, in two. Wasn't anything to do but cut a tree down and from a post, hew um, and to shape another axle. So we managed to pull out of the road a little bit and set to work. Now, as I told you, we were expecting the Texans at any time, so as a precaution against their coming, we dug a hole right beside the wagon. Then we went off away and cut two posts in case one turned out bad. And after we got them back to the wagon where it worked, we heard galloping into the whole troop of cavalry coming down the hill. So quickly, we threw the new logs into the pit we had dug and spread a few skins down and piled a load of coin onto them and covered the pit up and turned the wagon upside down over the fresh dirt and set fire to it. And as it burned, we mounted our horses and rode west. Now, I don't know whether or not what we heard was Texas cavalry. I'm inclined to think now that it must have been a herd of Mustangs. But we left confident that signs of our digging would be wiped out by the fire and that the Texans would think we'd burned our baggage to keep them falling into their hands. And so far as I know, I'm the only survivor of that escort of soldiers. I know that no Mexican has ever been back here to get the money. I'm here now with my old uh, compadre to try to get it, and you see how we are. We started out poorly prepared, and we're now we're afoot without provisions. If you'll help us, we'll share it with you. Well, the next morning, according to Russell, all five of the men started up uh, with the camp axe and the spade and went down to the old crossing and then out a few uh, rods down the river, and the old man led him to a row of uh, three little mounds, Knowles Common in that country all along the river valley. Beyond those three mounds was a stump, and beyond the stump was another knoll. The old man said, this is the place. Well, the, the Texans rode on slowly for the Mexicans were on foot, and the old ones walking kind of a stumble. And when they got around the mound, they saw a pile of the fresh dirt. And pitched across it were two old logs. Now, mesquite lasts a long time when it's underground, and Men looked down into the, the hole, and it wasn't very deep, and apparently hadn't been dug very long. Prints of the coins were still playing on some of the dirt, and a few tags of rotted skin was about. Well, Russell said the two former Mexican soldiers didn't say anything. Looks like they were about a week, week late uh, reclaiming the money. And the last he saw them, they were walking back toward Mexico with what provisions the cowboys could spare. Well, you know, General Santa Ana was coming from the raid to Goliath, where he faced off with some of my ancestors and unfortunately got the best of them. While he was fording the notches at the old rock crossing at the Chalk Creek Pasture, which is what was part of the George West Ranch, uh, that's about 12 miles below the Shiner Crossing. His pay cart broke down, and a heavy iron chest 
fell to a goal, fell into the river. Now the river was running high, and Santa Ana was in great haste to reach Goliad. And there was a little travel in that country. He decided to leave the chest in the river, but he did have it chained to a tree. Tended to come back and get it on his way back, where he expected to make sure workers were doing these insurgent Texans. Later years, Pat McNeil, the same man who tied down the maverick heifer in one of the rock pens, found a piece of chain tied around an elm tree on the east bank of the river. And later on, DeBeau found the, the tree bearing the marks of a chain, but the chain itself was long gone. When encouraged by the markings, he, with Stonewall Jackson Wright and the Wright's brother-in-law, Albert Den, went to Beeville, about 50 miles away. They got a four-horse load of tongue and grooved lumber. It's like a shaft about 18 feet down in the middle of the river, and a little below the crossing, accounting for the push of the water. They were able to wall out the water, but made poor way with the boiling quicksand in the bottom of the river. Well, the first night after the shaft had been started, Stonewall Jackson Wright and Den got to arguing as to what disposition could be made of that chest. Wright was in favor of taking it to his ranch, 20 or 30 miles down in the country, before opening it, and Den declared he'd open it at once and that the prize could be divided right then and there. Well, the argument got so hot that only Dubois remembered uh, they hadn't yet found the chest. So what was the point of arguing? Now, there is a possibility, according to some, that a part of Stonewall, Stonewall, Santa Anna's army may have come back over the same route and taken the chest with them. However, there is in existence a Mexican waybill to the treasure. Mr. Whitley of McMullen County says the chest was buried on the bank under a tree that had a limb straight out over the water and that the chain around the tree trunk was a piece of log chain from an ox cart. But the tree caved in long ago. The water changed its course. Now there's no sign to go by. Though doubtless the chest is somewhere in that vicinity of what's still known as Rock Crossing. Uh, it's just a name now because it's been decades since the, the road ran that way. But of course, with, a, with the use of a metal detector, who knows what you can do? Now let's talk about... Uh, Sankaha Mountain Legends. The name Sankaha is significant, though its meaning is in dispute. Some people, I don't know, say that it means holy or sainted. And box, that word kaha means box. Alludes to the chest or chest of treasure hid in the mountains. But, uh, Another gentleman who's native to the Sankaha country has said that a very old Mexican was told her name is originally Sincaha. Sin meaning without and Caja meaning coffin. So it's without coffin. Now according to the, the old man, the name was derived from the fact that a man had once been buried in or on the mountain without a coffin, maybe not buried at all but left out in the open. Either interpretation is appropriate to the legends of the mountain. And under the mountain is a cave, the entrance to which is on the west side, halfway up the mountain. The Mexican bandits who preyed on the wagon and mule trains had traveled the San Antonio Laredo Road were accustomed to ride their horses into that entrance. And they had a big room underground that they used as a stable. And in the back of that room was their treasure room. Uh... 
El Laparto del Tesoro, in which there were heaps of gold and silver coins, Spanish doubloons, and old Mexican square dollars, golden candlesticks, silver-mounted and jewel-studded saddles, bits of and spurs of precious workmanship, plated firearms, all manner of costly plunder meant for the grandees and the cathedrals, as well as the bullion of mines near at hand. Because there were rich mines in that country in the old days when the Spanish were new to this country. According to Mexican tradition, after the banditos had accumulated all this treasure, a terrible dragon came and killed some of them and ran the others off. That uh, dragon had a spiked tail and two heads, and at night one might see fire flashing out of his nostrils. He came to be called uh, El Salvador de la Tercero, the Warden of the Treasure. And there are folks today who wouldn't think of violating the premises that he stole guards. Now, in addition to the legend, it was uh, added by uh, Mr. Whitley. He heard this story that a certain man who bore the marks of a borderer was uh, visiting the penitentiary in uh, Huntsville when he suddenly uh, heard himself called in Mexican, or in Spanish, in other words. He paused and his side appeared a Mexican begging to talk to him. And the guard consented, and in his own language, uh, the inmate told his tale. He was serving a life sentence in the penitentiary and a sole survivor of a band of murdering brigands. And all their booty was still in a cave on the south side of the San Caja. And if the his friend would get it, he can have half and use the other half to free the prisoner. And on the off chance the man was telling the truth, the visitor agreed and he got directions. And according to those directions, you go to the southeast side of the mountain, go out about a mile or two, to two little knobs, and then on down a kind of ravine about that same distance where an opening will be found that enters into the uh, treasure hall. Well, the visitor set out to follow the directions, but he was already old, and death took him before he could search out the treasure. Well, according to Mr. Whitley, there are two knobs on the southeast side of the mountain, but two miles down instead of one, which shows that uh, sometimes the... Uh, a treasure hider sometimes has no sense of direction. In giving directions, he always says, un spedacito, a little piece, which may mean half a mile or five miles. Anyhow, the country doesn't seem to fit the, um, the directions that the old man gave the visitor. To the northeast of the San Caja, the San Cajitas, little San Cajas, or according to uh, Mr. Whitley, uh, another robber's cave stored with fine saddles and other plunder left by banditos. In it are ladders that are used to descend a hundred feet to the treasure floor. But no man has, since the days of the bandits, been down into this cave. And it's said to be alive with rattlesnakes. And that's one of the problems when you're dealing with caves. They like to find the cool interior. And usually they have sandy floors and they make a nest in the sand. Well, while Joe Newberry was bossing a ranch down in the sands 25, 30 years, um, well, more, probably more like 50 now, an old Mexican who was headed west to hunt for the rock pens gave him a chart to nine jackloads of silver bullion buried on top of the San Caja, a certain number of pasos west of a 
chipotle or persimmon tree and covered over with a great rock. The folks who buried it were on their way to the city of Mexico from up in the Noches Canyon where the Spanish operated mines that have long since been lost. And it was doing a terrible drought and the Noches had dried up and the travelers had missed finding the lakes that they were vaguely heard or couldn't be missed. They and their animals were perishing of thirst, and they realized their nearest water was the Rio Grande, which was 70 miles away across a desert of rocks and sand. So to reach it, they had to lighten their loads as much as possible. Now, their mistake was not having buried the bullion earlier, because they were so exhausted, and the way was so hard that all but one man died in the attempt to reach the Rio, uh, Rio Grande. This solitary survivor, for some reason, didn't return, but he did make out a chart, which must have been fairly well circulated, because another individual coming north in search of the fame uh, Casablanca cash. He also had directions to the San Caja treasure. When Dubois and his fellow explorers blasted a certain likely-looking rock off and found underneath it a rock hole about six feet deep, but there was no bullion in it. And according to Uncle Ben Atkins of Beeville, the San Caja treasure consists of money that was buried by Mexico on their way to San Antonio. This, they got to the rock crossing. They heard the Mexican armies being slaughtered in the, at the Alamo and turned back in haste. Such haste, they left their precious freight on top of the loneliest mountain in southwest Texas. And a number of folks in Austin repeated this same tale. One of them said that a detachment reached the river in wintertime when a big rise was on. Unable to swim their treasure-laden mules across the flood, and while they were waiting for the water to go down, heard that a band of Texans was close on their heels. So they took their freight up into the mountains and hit, left it there. Well, the long and the short of it is, there are many, many tales, and perhaps one in ten has any validity, and of that one in ten... Maybe one in another ten is still available to be found. But the point of it is, if you find one, you're set for life. 31 jack loads of silver. At that point in time, in the 1800s, it would have made you a very wealthy man. Today, you'd be wealthier than Midas. Well, on that note, we could end of the day show. We'll be back next week, and we'll be talking about unsolved murders until then this is ken hudnall for the ken hudnall show saying have a truly great evening